Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. If you'd open up your Bibles and turn to Matthew's Gospel to chapter 19, I want to give you a little heads up. Uh, Today will be a tad PG-13-ish, so if you have children here, know that we have classes for all age groups of children. I don't particularly see any, but just know uh, you you may want to have your children uh, head off to high school, junior high, and to children's ministry. Okay, here we go. God hates sex. This is another one of those catchy titles that it's like I'm trying to get a point across to you. I want you to understand from God's perspective, God actually invented human sexuality. He knows exactly the confines in which it is to be expressed, and he's given us tremendous guidelines about where our human sexuality is supposed to be located. And it's within the confines of marriage and only within the confines of marriage. And so as Jesus now speaks this incredibly difficult and hard saying, he's going to talk about something that seems almost impossible for us to imagine in our world, but in the light of the context... It was a very, very important point. And the reason that Jesus says these things is he's being confronted. Finally, here in Matthew chapter 19, the the Pharisees kind of come back on the scene before Jesus is put to death. And they try and trap him. And so if you turn with me there to Matthew 19, and we'll pick up in verse 3 for context, for the Pharisees also came to him testing him saying, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? The reason they say this is that was exactly what the Pharisees taught. The Pharisees believed that if your wife burned your toast, she's out. You know, if the husband didn't earn enough cash, be gone. They had a very Western view of the sanctity of marriage. Jesus is confronted with this reality of that time. And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them in the beginning made them male and female? Jesus is going to reinforce God's intention for human sexuality and very specifically for marriage. And said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his, there it is, wife. The intent is marriage. Why is that important? Because as we get to our verses, verses 10 and 11, you'll see that the issue becomes, well, you know, because the world's so prone to divorce, maybe we shouldn't get married at all. Maybe we should all be celibate. 
The two shall become one flesh, and so they are no longer two but one. And therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Now let me stop here for just a moment. If you're here today, and you have experienced the pain of divorce, God loves you, and God can heal that pain. If you're here today and you're contemplating it, in Jesus' name, Open your heart and your mind to what the scriptures say. Because God holds marriage between a man and a woman exclusively, and he holds marriage between a man and a woman exclusively for life. That is God's opinion on marriage. Let no one separate. And they said to him, Why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? Now, here's the problem. Notice what they said. Moses. Actually, God didn't say. God didn't ordain divorce. And we're told exactly why. And he said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. Be very careful in your reading here. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, who's speaking? Jesus. I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. So Jesus lets it fly. He says, God invented marriage. Moses is the one that gave you permission. It was not so from the beginning, not part of God's design. Divorce is nowhere in the Bible ever ordained of God. It is an accommodation for the sinful hearts of mankind. And there are only a handful of reasons, exactly three, in all of the Bible that as far as the Bible's concerned, divorce is actually permitted, not ordained. Be careful that you get your understanding correct here. From God's perspective, marriage is between one man, one woman, forever. It's not this transitional thing, well, as long as he makes me happy. As long as she doesn't burn my toast, as long as he makes enough money, as long as she doesn't put on five pounds, that's not found in Scripture. That is mankind's take on something that God called holy and permanent. So let's have God's opinion on this. So you might imagine, having heard these things, verse 10, and here comes our verses for today. And his disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. Why do you think they would say that? Because they had the exact same lack of understanding of the sanctity of marriage that exists in our world today. Marriage was a thing of convenience. Marriage was a way to have your sexual fulfillment. 
As long as you were sexually fulfilled, as long as you got what you wanted, then you stayed married. But the moment you didn't get what you wanted, well, we have irreconcilable differences. You know, after all, I don't think that's what I signed up for. Notice the response. But he said to them, All cannot accept this saying, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born thus from their mother's womb, and there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who were made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He who is able to accept it, let him accept it. So there's Jesus' take on whether humankind is supposed to intentionally live in celibacy. In other words, become asexual, as if God hates sex. It's like Jesus makes this case. Eunuchs, obviously, are people who are functionally incapable of having human sexual relations. Told you it was going to be PG-13. I meant it. Why am I teaching on this? Because this subject is ruining the church's reputation in the world. This subject is almost no different in the church than it is in the world. The church has so bought into the world system that we now divorce for just any old reason. We think that, well, you know, as long as your kids are having safe sex... Everybody does it. As long as there's love involved, then it must be okay. It's not what the Bible declares. God doesn't hate sex. God hates divorce. And unbridled human sexuality leads to divorce, and God does hate that. Some of you are thinking, and I got up early for this. <laughs> There's some faulty logic in this that has grown up. They had grown up in a culture where divorce was rampant. Have we not grown up in a culture where divorce was rampant? People just divorce because they don't like it. I, ha- I can't even tell you. Pastor Chet would tell you the same thing. How many couples have come in, well, we just fell out of love? Well, did you just fall out of the vows that you made before God? Did the words you spoke to your heavenly father all of a sudden become meaningless simply because you don't like what you got? Church, if we don't square this away in the church, then we are teaching the world that the church is no different than the world. And this is not true. The church is different than the world. We see things from God's perspective. Hence, Jesus' words are very important here. Why is it? Because the truth of the matter is, the only justification for divorce is adultery. 
which is sex outside of marriage. As far as Jesus is concerned, that is it in this context. The only thing that Paul adds is abandonment by an unbelieving spouse. And so from God's perspective, he's confined human sexuality to a married relationship, and the only thing that breaks it is sex outside of a married relationship. So do you think God actually hates sex, or do you think that God hates things that break up marriages? God hates things that break up marriages. Why? Because as the original command says in in Malachi, it covers one's life with bloodshed. It ruins the lives of countless other people as well. Divorce doesn't just harm one person or the other in the marriage relationship, or both. It harms the children. It harms the extended family. It harms the community. It harms your aunts, uncles, cousins. It harms your finances. It harms our nation. It harms our cities. It harms America. It harms the world. When families don't stay together, the outfall is massive. Now, you may not like what I'm saying right now. You you may think differently, but the Bible clearly says, I, the Lord, hate divorce. It doesn't hate sexual relationships. He made sexual relationships wonderful, but he can find them inside of a marriage. He said, that's where it's meaningful. That's where that passion is unbridled. That's where it has its greatest and highest use. That's what it's for. It's to bring intimacy to two people who have committed their lives together forever. That relationship isn't supposed to be shared with just any old person who happens to be the opposite gender or now the same gender. That faulty logic was the source of the false teaching, the faulty teaching. They had paid, if they had simply looked at what God's word said, they would have understood that God didn't hate sexual relations. He wasn't talking about everybody becoming eunuchs. He wasn't talking about being asexual. He was saying, look, the only place that's going to be a blessing to you is when you are married to the same person indefinitely, till one of you dies. Death, adultery, and abandonment by an unbelieving spouse are the exact and only three reasons in the Bible that God says, under those circumstances, though I'm not telling you you have to, I can heal that. Those are the acceptable reasons, as far as God's concerned, for a divorce to occur. It's not because the house isn't big enough. It's not because you don't have the money. It's not because you don't have the clothes. It's not because that person said something to you you don't like. It's not because you don't feel valued. Those things are all legitimate reasons for you to have further conversations and to fix the problem. But from God's perspective... God loves human sexuality inside of what he designed for it to be. Marriage. That's where that joy is full. That's where it is supposed to be intimate. That's where it's supposed to be wonderful. 
He who finds a wife finds a good thing. Let your fountain be blessed. And that's talking metaphorically about human sexuality. The wife of your youth. Not talking about you loving dear, it's about you loving her dearly. Amen? Amen. Church. Some of you are you're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe he's saying this. If we turned this book into a movie, X rated for sure. Jewish rabbis never allowed Jewish young men to read the Song of Solomon before they were 12 years old. Why? It's explicit. God's okay with husbands and wives being explicit with each other. Married couples become lovers and friends in a way that the world does not understand. I'll just throw it out there. Connie, I've been married for almost 46 years. She's still hot. Just saying. Some of the rest of you men ought to be saying, Amen, hallelujah. <laughs> Only for your wife, though. What about singleness? Notice Jesus actually says, all men cannot accept this statement, but only those to whom it has been given. Do you know why that phrase is there? Because almost no one has been called to be single. The only people who have been called to be single have also been gifted with the gift of singleness. Why? Because God implicitly made human beings sexual. There are parts of your anatomy that serve no other purpose than sexual fulfillment. So don't think that God's a prude sitting in heaven going, oh, I can't believe they did that. Sometimes I talk to people and it, it's almost like, well, <gasps> you were created by him and for him and in his image were you made. So whatever he made, he said, it is good, Amen. So if he made you that way, he must have a way for you to express that that is right and holy and beautiful and wonderful. And so if he made those parts, he must have a reason for those parts being there. I'm stunned sometimes at how many Christians, just like, whoa. <laughs> we don't do, really? What's wrong with you? The problem is we don't like where God put that sexuality. He can find it into a marriage. He didn't say, well, just whatever you want to do. And so when Paul writes, it's better to marry than to burn there in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the reason he's saying that is if you have human sexual passion, then your Desire is to be married. It's not just to sleep with whoever you want. 
from God's perspective as a Christian. And again, these are spiritual things they are spiritually appraised. The carnal mind hasn't got a clue. But from a biblical perspective, if you have sexual desire, then God's desire for you is a mate, a spouse, someone with whom to share that. Celibate singleness, which we can see in 1 Corinthians 7, is a gift that is given to very few people. Very few. So much so that Jesus actually gives us three kinds of singleness here. Notice what they are. Eunuchs born that way from their mother's womb. In other words, someone who is sexually not complete. There's a problem actually physically with them. That would be incapability if you would want to give it a single word. Second, there are eunuchs who are made that way by men. We call that mutilation. A surgical procedure to change one's sexual identity, as far as the Bible is concerned, is not only not okay, it is something that defiles the creation that God made. All of it. Gender reassignment surgery is not okay with God. Jesus said so. He's using a negative vein here for those who are made that way by men. It's not okay. You're in in essence telling God, God, you made a mistake. I'm actually a woman. Shocked yet? I'm working on it. (laughs) Tell your friends. Have them watch. What pastor talked about sex for 45 minutes. But notice the third one. Eunuchs who made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. That is a person whose life is dedicated in such a way that what the Apostle Paul mentioned as he was talking about this very subject is that there are things that come into your life because you're a married person that are almost impossible to navigate if you're going to be out in the middle of maybe a jungle someplace. You've been called on the mission field to where the concerns of a husband, the concerns of a wife, the concerns of a mom, a dad, a grandparent, those things would weigh so heavy on you that you could not accomplish the will of the the Lord for you. And so God gives you the gift of singleness. So notice there are three, two of which are clearly not the will of the Lord. And the third one is the only way that that expression of singleness is actually to occur as far as Jesus is concerned. You've been called by God for a ministry purpose to be single. It's a rough calling. It's also a blessed calling. It's also the reason that I can tell you that when you think on that particular aspect of it, why very few people are called to it. When the first, when people come to me and say, well, you know, I want to be married, then that's a sign 
you should be married. Here's the problem. Well, I, I want somebody taller and hand, more handsome and rich, or I want someone who's better looking. Or That's not the issue. The issue is you have unfulfilled sexual desire that you are going to struggle with for your entire life because you are not married. That is a bad place to be. You're being picky in a way that is not beneficial to your spiritual well-being. I'm not saying you just go out and marry any old person. But sometimes we say, well, you know, it's just like, well, I've got these standards. Who gave you those standards? Did they come from God or are they of your own making? Be careful that you don't try and blame God for something that God didn't do. Sometimes it's just us. And we're simply looking in the wrong place for the wrong thing. I will not bore you. So remember, you can download these online. I wanted to give you enough ammunition. So if you think that God is anti-sex, every single one of those verses, in either the positive or the negative context, talks about human sexuality. Why would I put those up there? Because God invented the human sexual relationship and he invented it to be absolutely wonderful. But in the negative examples, you know what he says? It's not okay that you're a homosexual. Why? Because that's out of the context of a man and a wife. And no matter what you call it, God said in the beginning he made them male and female. Jesus just said it. Notice he didn't say he made any two people who have attraction towards one another. He made them male and female, and that is the way he expresses a marriage relationship. And so homosexuality is clearly always outside of God's design. When the Bible speaks about sexual issues, it always puts it in context of the participants. So if it's before marriage... It's fornication. If it's outside of the context of sexual norms, it's immorality. If it's while you're married, it's adultery. But the same word is used every single time. It's just the subject matter that changes its meaning. Why? Because from God's perspective, there are exactly two people on this earth that should have sex, and that's a husband and wife. That's not people who are almost married. That's not people who think they will get married. That's not people cohabitating because they think it's the same as marriage. It's two people who have made a commitment before God that this is my wife, this is my husband, and I am pledging my entire being to that other person. Till death do us part. That's God's take on it. The world has shaped a lot of what the church thinks. God absolutely does hate adultery. And God absolutely does hate divorce. He created sex. But he hates what destroys marriages. 
He's against it. He's not for it. As you read through those, 1 Corinthians 7, a husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights. And likewise, the wife to her husband, for the wife does not have authority over her own body, the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, the wife does. Do not deprive one another. Why? Why would the Apostle Paul, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, write those particular words? Because from God's perspective, when he created human sexuality and put it into the heart of man, the mind of man, the emotions of man, and the hormones of man, he said it would be unfair to give them something that they cannot express, so I will make it good by putting it inside of marriage. And so you have... Listen up if you're married and you're here. You have a responsibility to your spouse to be everything they need sexually. Your body is actually not yours as far as the Bible is concerned in that regard. In that regard only, I might add. This is an area where God says, because there is no way for that to be expressed except in marriage, and because you each possess parts that are essential for the whole to happen, what you are as a man or you are as a woman is actually under the control of the other person because otherwise they become sexually frustrated. They have no way to express that. You are trapping them in something that God says he created you to be four. Does that sound a little different than the world shouting, it's my body. I can do whatever I want. Not so much as the Bible says. The Bible says you were created for each other. And when you're together, that is something so unique, the Lord said, and the two shall become one. A unique new whole. So not only does God not hate sex, God actually loves that you are in love with one another and enjoy one another. But it's only you two. It's not to be shared with anyone else. Not for any reason. Ever. I know that's a tall order. That's a hard thing. That's why it matters what you put in your mind. That's why it matters what media you consume. That's why it matters what you see. That's why it matters what you say. That's why what you do matters. You're to be a doer of the word, not just a hearer only, because you can self-deceive yourself You you can be so deceived that, well, this is what I really need. That's why pornography is so destructive. Because now you have a comparison that is an unreal comparison to your very specific reality that is in your marriage. Because that man or that woman doesn't look like your wife or your husband doesn't act like your wife or your husband. You're making it into something that is disgusting and filthy when God intended it to be holy. Let 
we have to clean this up in the church because it is a shame on the name of the Lord that the church can't stay married. That the church is incapable of saying, I love my wife. And when I say I love my wife, I love my wife in every imaginable way. But that's the only person on earth that God's given me to love that way. Period. The result of that is two beautiful boys whom I pray will love their wives as Christ has loved the church and given his life for it. Husbands, that's our calling. Our calling is to be everything that our wives need to the point of death, if necessary. That's why when I watch these Ukrainian teenagers staying behind and fighting mechanized infantry from the Russian army, as they watch their wives go across the border, many of them to never see them again, that's death to self. That's what our brave men and women have done throughout time. That's death to self. That's what that relationship means when it's at its finest. It's like, honey, I love you enough to die for you. And there's nothing that I would do to destroy you. What you have given me, no one else has ever been able to give. Let's be really clear here. I want to wrap this up. When God says there in Malachi 2, I hate divorce, it's what he means. Why am I saying that? Because God hates divorce. He doesn't ever ordain divorce. He simply permits it. Jesus said divorce is an accommodation for the sin of man. And you're saying, well, you didn't go through what I went through. You're right, I didn't. And I would not ever be so bold as to say you should just sit around and take any kind of abuse. I'm not saying that at all. The Bible doesn't say that. But the Bible also doesn't say that the only answer you have is to divorce your spouse. The Bible says you can separate from that person so that they might come to their senses. So that the Holy Spirit can work in their life. It's not freeing you to go wife shopping. It's not freeing you to go hunting after a new husband. It's freeing the Holy Spirit to work in the life of your spouse who is broken and desperately needs a work from Jesus. You see, when the Bible says God hates divorce, he means he hates divorce. He hates it. Always. There's no divorce that's ever occurred that God can say, well, I didn't hate that one. He hates every last one of them. Why? Because you made vows before God. And no matter why the vows are broken, they're broken. And the broken vows cause problems. They cause pain. They cause anguish. 
The effects on children are so well documented, there may not be another social problem, psychological problem that's been documented like what happens to children during a divorce. So before you go down that road, God hates it. It may happen. It may be the last resort. Now here's the good news. God's the God of the broken. God's the God who can forgive anything, including divorce. God can heal and restore. But don't ever confuse permission for ordination. Don't do it. Because the moment you say, God told me I'm to leave my spouse, you have just changed permission to ordination. That in essence, God made it happen. And that's not true. It may be an accommodation because of sin. But God still hates it. Cherish your spouse. God doesn't hate sex. He hates broken marriages. Sometimes we almost think that if we just repeat something over and over and over again that it becomes true. It's not true. God made you the way you are and he loves you the way you are. But he also loves us enough to confront those things that are lies that we have believed from this world. And I pray if there's anyone here Maybe you right now are even contemplating divorcing your spouse. Stop. Get on your knees. Beg God to restore your marriage. Confess your own faults. Remember, we already saw we're to pray for those who persecute us. If that's true for our enemies, how much more true should it be for our spouse? If we're to love those who have hated us, how much more true is it for our spouse with whom we share a relationship that should not exist with any other person on this planet? God sees the marriage vow as holy, and because we are named by his name, we're called Christians for a reason. And he is the word. Then we should live by the word. The word should be in us alive. And I pray that for your children's sake, that you will speak truth to them. There are consequences to the untold number of boyfriends and girlfriends. There are consequences to the living together. There are consequences to the broken marriages. There are consequences to the unbridled human sexuality not confined in marriage. There are consequences to all these things. And the price is high. God has given us his word so that we can miss some of these traps. 
Solomon was correct. Vainly in the sight of any bird is the trap set. In other words, when you set a trap, you do it clandestinely so that the animal that you're trying to trap doesn't see it. Amen? So God has just sprung the trap in front of you. He says, look, here's a trap. Don't fall into it. Here's a problem. Don't go there. Here's an area where we need to make sure that our mind is thinking correctly so that our bodies will respond appropriately. Our hearts are governed and guided by the Holy Spirit and that we do not buy the lies of the enemy because that stuff you see on Hallmark Channel, that is fake city. (laughs) Just speaking truth to it, okay? Not everybody looks like that, and that ain't always what happens. I'll leave the details for you to figure out. God loves you. He made you the way you are. And he has a plan for your life. And he can heal whatever brokenness is in you, if you will yield it to him. Amen? Amen. Would you stand? I want to pray over us and also remind you that the prayer room is available. Prayer warriors are in there. would love to pray with you. There's something specific that you want to be prayed for and prayed over. Father, we thank you that you know what's best for us. Lord, that is not a guess. That's what your word declares. And so what you have purposed and declared is always the best. And so, Lord, we submit to your plans. We pray that you'd help us to live within your plan for our lives. That we would shun what is evil and cling to what is good. Lord, help us to be different than the world around us. Help us to have solutions when the world offers problems. God, speak your truth into our lives. I pray if there's anyone here that's contemplating Lord, doing something that will destroy their marriage. Would you, Holy Spirit, right now fall on that person? Speak to their life. Remind them of what the enemy won't tell them, which is it actually isn't going to get better. It'll just be different. And so, Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us in this world that is such a mess to live lives of holiness and purity in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.